0: This week, G. Mark Hardy, or as we say in Rhode Island, G. Mark Hardy, he's the president of the National Security Corporation. He joins us for an interview from Hacker Jeopardy to CISO Tradecraft. Up next, Lawrence Nunn, the CEO of Cyberspatial, joins us to discuss making cyber accessible to everyone. In the security news, secret keys in Samsung source code have been leaked. Conti. Tries to go legit with some smoke and mirrors, which I thought was entertaining. Cracking crypto keys with an over 300-year-old mathematical algorithm. Ceases must, much, much, must, patch, list. The FTC finds Cafe Press over a data breach and so much more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Cybercriminals criminals are working overtime last year in the fourth quarter alone phishing attacks disguised as covid testing information increased by 521 percent barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cyber criminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers find out about the 13 email threat types and how barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams your customers and your reputation get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda that's security weekly.com
1: forward slash barracuda good evening as the network has informed us that united states president joseph biden will be watching the show tonight there will be no inappropriate nudity there will be no foul language no consumption of banned substances that are banned by federal state local and tribal law nor will there be any abuse of small arthropods ungulates or sea life Likewise, uh, all of the hosts will be wearing appropriate undergarments at all times, and all of the offensive ice cubes have been melted down into pure, wholesome rainwater. And with that, I give you Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. It's episode number 732, recorded
0: on March 16th, 2022, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. Uh, to my left, they call him the doctor dr white mr dr doug white is in the house
1: finally i'm allowed back after all those bans and, and you're always welcome ah, Well, yeah but you know there was a the whole thing with the fcc and, and you know that they don't regulate <laughs> us we wouldn't be doing this in the
0: 17 years whatever if it was
1: regulated by <laughs> a, no i wasn't been, actually banned we've yeah. been canceled a long time ago i just i just swore an oath i'd never be in the same room with larry yeah, that's true. You guys are not allowed to be in the same room. It's kind of like crossing the stream. Oh, it's bad. It's, yeah. It's oh bad. no, it's real bad vibe, man.
2: No, no, yeah. That, yeah, that's more like critical mass. When you put the two of them together, oh, you end up yeah. the next morning going, "Oh my God, what
1: happened?" Oh, and it's like I, I can feel it when Larry's within like. Mister Josh or
2: Marpet, or as we say here in Rhode Island, Moppet. Moppet. Josh Moppet. Hey, here. what's going on? How's well coffee are milk. It does he look like me. one of the
0: Moppets. Come <laughs> to think of it, he
2: does. <laughs>
0: Mister Tyler Robinson is here with us. Tyler, welcome.
2: Thanks, man gonna be
0: a fun night absolutely quick announcement before we bring on mr g mark don't miss any of your favorite security weekly content you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe subscribe to any or all of our podcast feeds have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone join our mailing list discord server follow us on social media and our streaming platforms also if you listen to our show in uh apple Podcasts or spotify this is kind of new in spotify you can rank us if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating in there, that would be awesome. It helps the show. G Mark Hardy is the founder and president of National Security Corporation, providing cybersecurity expertise to government, military, and commercial clients, a retired U.S. Navy captain, and a host of the CISO Tradecraft podcast. Mr. G Mark is here with us this evening. Welcome, fine, sir.
3: Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be with you. Looks like uh, a little bit farther south and from your fine studios. It's yes. 75, 80 degrees down here, but it's not so bad here in Florida.
0: We seem to share the appreciation of the same finer things, such as whiskey and cigars.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is awesome. We were talking about that a little bit earlier, but I just uh, opened this up for the show. I just came back from Ireland about three weeks ago and had to replenish my Irish whiskey supply, after two years of not being able to go there, it uh, was kind of severely handicapped. Uh, but it's uh, it's kind you of you know nice they to they sell
0: that in the up. liquor store here in the U.S. too. <laughs> you
3: know that, but some of the stuff I got you can't get. So, yeah, so some here, you can't. Yeah, you know, here's a writer's tears, and this is a numbered one eighty-one out of six thirty-six, and that's wow. it. They're all gone. They're all gone. It's fifty-five percent, and wow. it's uh, aged in Japanese oak, and so they've come up with some pretty nice yeah. stuff and things like that you're just not going to find back no, here. So I, I say, but I, when you I get like down air, we'll, we'll we'll toast and we'll, we'll enjoy some of the fine beverages that yes. we have here. Cheers, my
0: friend. I love that red breast uh, low tau, is that how you say it? Low-stow.
3: L-U-S-T-A-U. It's like
0: Irish whiskey, but they finish it in sherry casks? Sherry casks, exactly. They did a nice job with that. G-Mark, how did you get your start in information security?
3: Oh, wow. Um, probably because I figured out many years ago I could get into any computer that I wanted to. And this is going back a long time ago, back when we had mainframes and we were going in on terminals. But uh, it was very realized- open. It was
0: open back then. Like you would just get an account, a lot of accounts didn't have passwords and things like that. Well,
3: the thing was, well, yeah, because what would happen then, we were actually sort of high school, was up, grew up in Western New York, out in Buffalo and all the local schools uh was we're connected in out of this one ibm 37145 and we we're using apl how's that for a dead language and each of us each school had their own terminals and we connected in there and then you kind of figured out of course the first thing you want to do is get out of there and then we got in other systems and traveled around the country electronically but uh, as it turned out there were no laws against doing anything like that not that we were but there's no maliciousness back then. You're just exploring, kind of, man, right? You're exploring explorers. and you put yeah. back what you find. You'd, you'd, you'd never think about breaking or damaging anything. And uh, from there, I went on to Northwestern, sold my soul for my college degree. Uh, and then 30 years of misspent youth in a Navy uniform as I had a chance to serve our country. And, 30 uh, years, man. Out.
2: Thank you for your service. Yeah. Long, it, it goes fast. No, 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 really no, no, goes. no, no. G Mark, you know the story. Come on. Oh, I thought, it was gonna, day. I thought it was going to sing the song.
3: Yeah, yeah that's, why, you know, that's why I got the, that's why the beer came off. Um, yeah, so <laughs> t- 20 years ago. So what Josh knows, they don't really talk about it. My first day of the job, when I got hired to work at Ernst & Young, and they hired me to run their Wall Street security practice. Like, this is a pretty cool job. And when can you start? And I said, well, I'm speaking this week. I got a count. Okay, great. So we, we worked something out. I was going to start on a Tuesday because I was speaking on a Monday in Washington, D.C. So... Tuesday, September 11, 2001, I show up for my first day of work in Manhattan at 8 o'clock. And of course, 46 minutes later, uh, the whole world changes. And then off we go from there. And uh, so as we kind of figured out what was going on and people got organized, I was uh, found a number of military uh, folks some sergeants and uh, enlisted men. I said, who's in charge? And one of the guys said, we don't have any officers. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a Navy officer. I'll take command. Let's go. So that was, that was my Forrest Gump moment. So I was the on-scene commander for the first probably 36 hours or so. So fast forward to 2021. And so this past year, we had our 20th reunion. And we've got some of the folks. So I've lo- we lost a couple of guys, uh, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, one of our colonels had just died of cancer. And so we're starting to all kind of have those ill effects of whatever that stuff that we breathed in. Mm. We're all part of a World Trade Center health registry. Uh, but it was nice to catch up with everybody. Uh, I got one of my guys, he was an Army specialist back then. I didn't even make him anymore. He's now a, a Navy Reserve Lieutenant Commander. And uh, he was off in Afghanistan pulling Americans out in October. We all know what happened in September. And I just caught up with him a couple days ago, and he is now over in Ukraine Mm -hmm. getting people out to the West, basically preemie babies and things like that, basically doing rescue. The guy's kind of a real-life Rambo. And uh, so, yeah, I got to meet some really, really incredible people during that. We've stayed in touch all these years.
0: That's that's amazing. Um, So I want to go back to September 11th for a moment. Describe that scene. You became an incident commander after one of the if not the worst disaster here in in the U.S. certainly worst mm-hmm. terrorist attack, by far, is that you. But you were going to work in like
3: yeah, I, was, I was actually in work, and so what happens? Yeah. A new employee orientation, and then I kind of walked in, uh, and he, he just kind of leaning up against the wall. And it's like, what happened? I like like your your mom just died or something. He just said the World Trade Center has been hit, and it looks like we're going to war. And I remember looking out to the north. Because that's where we're in a building. Up, we were in Midtown at the time. It was just nothing but blue sky. Mm. It was just a beautiful day out it there. It was a beautiful it was like day for the I world. Know. You yeah. listen to this horrible thing going on. Yeah, but yet outside it looked fine. So I headed south and I walked down about 40, 50 blocks, and the whole world changed as you got closer and closer. Mm.
0: closer. That's that's crazy. Um, talk about hacker jeopardy. To lighten, to light, go to a, a lighter.
3: Jeopardy. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, I played that. I think it was back in what DEFCON five, maybe back in ninety seven, with uh, Ira Winkler and Dead Attic. That was our team. And I remember, of course, Win was the MC back then. It was kind of one man show. He had Win, he had Vanna, and he had a scorekeeper. Well, the thing is, going into that final Hacker Jeopardy, we had more than twice as many points as the next team. So there's no way we can lose statistically. Well, and not, not the, the only questions
0: the questions are, future. sorry, so G-Mark, there are questions on all about technology or hacking or security, right? It's kind of a mixed bag. Was it that way?
3: Oh, back absolutely. Mixed bag. Yeah. Because I've, I've been writing the questions for the last seven years and actually probably for the last 15, but you know, when was the guy reading them until we did the turnover? But uh, yeah, so the final, final hacker Jeopardy question was this, the answer, of course, you got to have to come up with the answer form of a question. Uh, the only Microsoft Windows operating system to be rated C two under the orange book. All right. So, and, and it's even older than these lap. These three, one, one, no, three, yeah. one. No, it wasn't three, And it also wasn't in the form of a question. So what is,
0: what is windows NT 4.0?
2: Nope. No, before
3: that. <laughs> so windows it was, what is 2000. windows?
2: 2000. What is windows? 2000?
3: Yeah. Windows, uh, Three point five one, okay. The you know, the, um, oh, that the old, thing. and so what happened is, we, but I said no, it's three point five zero, and when said wrong, it's three five one. It says no, three five one was the European system, no, three five zero was to get the American standard. So we argued about that one too, and finally I realized, okay, he's got the final answer wrong. His scorekeeper is drunk, so he can't get the score <laughs> right. So I said I need to be an honest broker. So I got in there. I think we were the first year over at Alexis Park. And Wynn was going in there to print out all the questions and answers for Hacker Jeopardy. And, uh, well, theoretically speaking, somebody might have altered the print cues just a little bit. So after he left, I was able to print them out again. And I remember I was sitting there, I was sitting there with Jennifer Granick in the audience, and he had all the answers. And, you know, a category would come up, and someone would say, um, two, I'll take 200 points. And i go, Kevin Pulson. And they say... This hacker went ahead and won two automobiles. That's so I got ah. caught. It's, how do you know that? It's, it's, I said, all the answer is here. <laughs> but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to ruin the show because yeah. it would kind of be kind of fun to punk him. So afterwards, Wynn said, okay, that was cool. And uh, so then I kind of became his Ed McMahon. And I did that for a number of years till Wynn reached mandatory retirement age. And then at that point, he was going to give a show away. He says, what the hell are you doing? He's sticking around for 15 years. Let me run with the show. But it was interesting, as you would mentioned, it wasn't always just technology, but Hacker Jeopardy also included some things that under today's politically correct environment just would not work. Mm. Uh, and so I kind of stepped in, there, it was kind of interesting going from Wynn and got a lovely, I had uh, lunch with him a week and a half ago, I was in Nashville and just a absolutely unique individual and come up with all this amazing stuff that just, just from the mind of Wynn is pretty incredible. But uh, yeah, we had to rescue that thing because it was going to get canceled. I got all these things from Jeff Moss saying these people are complaining about this, we got this group. Yeah, there this.
0: was I, that. I remember that now, G Mark, that you say that there was a time when people were like heavily criticizing Hacker Chapel, like this kid. People are getting drunk, and there's women that are scantily clad, and they had a
1: stripper one time. Yeah. That well, was at Alexis' no, part. More than one time. Well, yeah. I, one time? I was at, I was at one uh, when they had a, they had a stripper named Bad Kitty or something like that, and the police came yeah. in and uh, took took they made this, they had to shut it down, and it was.
3: <laughs> yeah, things things got interesting for a while. So I, basically, I rehabilitated uh, the show. So 2019, the last one that we did live before COVID lockdown, uh, got back to a black badge. And what we did is we did competition. So we did everything from. Uh, TourCon and DerbyCon, ThoughtCon, um, what we down in HusekCon, and like three or four other ones? We had all these tournaments. Uh-huh. We played all up until finally we had the, the tournament of the champion of the champions. Oh, I and see. And Jeff finally yeah. said, Yeah, but that that was the famous uh, port 23 and the final answer. <laughs> um,
0: because... <laughs> Wait, no, what was famous about port 23? I remember hearing something about this.
3: So, what happened was, is that you know, it, it's a question's going to be about um, something like your. Surprised to find this port, an unencrypted port open that allows um, control of one of your systems. Of course, we're, talking, we're looking for for Telnet and we're looking for port. So the first team buzzes in,
1: and, and but wait, um, isn't that
0: a question, not the answer?
1: Or well, the answer. Oh, no. What is port twenty three? What is well, we're, we're yeah.
3: looking for? What is port
1: 23. Okay, gotcha. it,
3: basically, the question was: Is that you? You're surprised to find uh, this service Telnet running on a particular port, it's like, what is port 23? Okay, well, the first gotcha. team buzzes in and they go, what is port 21? And we're like, no, you gotta be oh. kidding me. Jeff McJunkin's on that team. He's, he's you know, one of the guys FTP. who does the, yeah. And then the next team buzzes in. Okay, there's three teams. They go, what is port 22? Uh, and I'm like, SSH. no, SSH. And, and so finally the third team is just sitting there and he says, look guys, it's not 21, <laughs> it's not 22. <22." laughs> <laughs> what do you want? And they finally buzz and they go, what is port 25? 69. I kid you not. What? Are you it's joking? Like <laughs> Are you serious? And I am absolutely serious. You got to, it, it is epic, okay? And you can look around. Somebody's now recorded a couple things, just look that now up for Hagrid <laughs> Jeff came to me later that night or early in the morning. He says, I'm not so sure I want to give you guys a black badge. You guys aren't really that smart after all. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, man, don't blame me. I mean, I thought the question was pretty good. Unless it was a money python joke.
1: If it was a money python joke, then I'll, I'll give it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Holy hand
2: grenade of Antioch. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, if if like you s- can,
1: if you can tell me what the yeah the holy hand grenade one, of Antioch. One, two, five. five no, three, three, sir. three, sir. Three, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So you can Lots go there. I'm going to I'm going to give you the point. Yeah. But I mean, and the Lord
3: been, will smite them in His mercy, <laughs> right? I mean, to their credit, they've been drinking. But still, I mean, I'm it, just well, making... that, yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, there's this kind of the push me pull you. Like, the more you drink, the better you do. I remember when your D- Detroit crew won on nothing but drinks. They couldn't answer a question. They were, but they just drank like fish. Okay, and we award them a 12 step program for their <laughs> um, success. And other teams. I remember when Jeff. Uh, that would be Wolfgang. Um, yes, Bennett I would played. agree. <laughs> so Kevin was drinking uh, Smirnoff Ice. It was a year after he got out of uh, you know the big house. And he was there with his then-girlfriend and his buddy who was LDS. He was Mormons. He didn't drink it all. And so throughout the entire round, they only drank three drinks. But they still got it because they knew their stuff. And they, they won that black badge back then. And so Kevin Mitnick's black badge came from, of all things, Hacker Jeopardy.
0: Oh, that's I did not know that
3: little factoid. Mm. All right. So maybe you make that as a Hacker Jeopardy question. So right. I'm actually writing some. We're doing a conference up in D.C. Uh, for the military cyber um, professionals Association, and it's called HammerCon. And so they've asked me to run a special version of Hacker Jeopardy for them. So I went out and I bought one of these little buzzer systems, and they're not cheap, but they work pretty well. And it's just one of those things that, because uh, they're military, we're going to have to make sure that we don't cross certain lines and things like that. But in general, it's a blast. And uh, it, it's been really fun to be part of it. So this year, I'll be turning things over kind of formally to uh, Lintile. Cause he wants to run with it. And he was originally a contestant on the show and he was giving the girls horsey rides and things like that. And we're like, you gotta get this guy back. He's like a Chris Farley. <laughs> so the next year he came in and he dressed up like a referee and we said, okay, great. So what we're going to do is we're going to start the game and you're going to come in here and blow the whistle and kind of run up there. And then you can kind of be like a color guy. Well, he was hiding off in one of the side rooms and he couldn't hear. So we started the game and it gets going and there's no ref, mm-hmm. and we're like ten minutes into the game, fifty minutes, like like when this guy leave, and then finally, I guess he figured out they must have started by now, so he comes charging out, blowing his whistle up onto the stage, and because it was so unexpected, it worked, right? And right. so he brought that physical humor to the game, and he makes a great host. He's written some pretty cool software. He just got a new job as a as a CISO, and I think he's mov- doing quite well in his career. So nice. it's nice to see him nice. moving along as well. And but
0: um. Aaron, I don't know if we can Mm -hmm. use Aaron. I'm going to use his name anyway. Aaron, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Aaron. Uh, But Aaron wrote like the software and the hardware to do the whole like buzzer system, right?
3: Yeah, well, originally FizzGig built the buzzer system, okay, up in Wisconsin. And that was the one where you had little boxes with the round things and you hit them and stuff like that. Mm. And then that was just for the, um, the buzzing in. Right. And then what Aaron did is came up with kind of the scorekeeping and then to do the online stuff. So last year, he, he wasn't there. I was there at DEF CON. He was not, but he was able to act as the MC. And then we had people kind of come in and we had all one big screen. Well, the interesting thing was we had one of the teams that had played in one of the rounds and in the finals was actually at DEF CON. Mm. So I, last minute, I kind of used my goon badge. If you look in the background there, you can see a 20-year goon badge hanging over my head somewhere around there. Yeah. So that kind of helps. A little bit we slapped together a room we got some monitors up there and we got a, a table up there it was interesting it's one of the teams that's playing against this guy has one of their team members at defcon but he's sitting off in the corner like a bad kid in kindergarten with his back to everybody because he's trying to talk on his headset to his teammates while uh, his other team is out here yeah and uh, they won their round which is pretty good but they got creamed in the final mm. But uh, has a lot of bandwidth problems and things like that, so it's nothing like a live show. So we'll be back live this year uh, in uh, Defcon 30. This will wow. be what my 26th Defcon, and uh,
2: good God, yeah, I know it's it adds up for sure. It, uh, it adds up because we're getting old, my friend. Well, too.
3: it beats the alternative. Hey, I had Richard Theme on my show a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And tell Richard, us about your
0: show. Well, tell us about your show.
3: Yeah, sure. So CISO Tradecraft, uh, we started that back in October of 2020. And now uh, we just recorded episode number 69. Wynn wanted that, but he's turning 70 this year. So I figured I'll save you the next episode. So I'm going to try to do Wynn this weekend. Nice. But what we thought of is that there is a lot of really good technical stuff up there. There's a lot of talk about the news. But there isn't a whole lot of places for someone who wants to become a CISO to learn both the management and the organizational, uh, if you will, the soft skills, as well as some of the technical skills at a high enough level. We're not going to go down in there and pull packets apart, but you need to understand what's going on. So my buddy Ross Young and I put this thing together and we started recording these. And then it just got going. And as a result, we've put together now a year and a half's worth. Our first year out, we picked up a couple of awards. We got the FASIA, Federal Information Systems Security Educators Association, a podcast of the year award.
0: Nice. Congrats.
3: And uh, we picked up another one from another group. So that was pretty cool. But it's uh, it's a lot of content. It's a huge amount of content. So I spend six six hours, seven hours a week writing stuff. And as a result, what you end up having is almost a lesson plan that I end up teaching in 45 minutes, like a lecture. So what we're doing with this is we're building a course out of it, and we're going to try to create uh, a one-week, see how long it works, we come up with 47 modules on how to become an effective CISO and make that available. So this is kind of my giving back phase in my career Mm. because I've had a chance to do an awful lot. And so at some point in time, you want to kind of work with the next – generation behind you to say hey let me show you where the landmines are so you don't step in them and let me also point out where some of the opportunities are for fast tracking and for success Mm -hmm. and uh you know one of the interesting things that i just put in a show recently i called it promotion through politics but it's really my observation that I, i gained looking at both military careers as well as civilian careers is you have four distinct phases you go through you start out as a technical expert and throughout your 20s or whenever you get going that's what you're paid for and that's what your value is to be a technical expert but at some point in time if you want your career to keep going you learn management you learn how to execute on a project you can go ahead and deliver on time on budget you can fill out your forms you can go ahead and meet the reporting requirements and if you manage effectively for a number of years you're then invited to become a leader and as a leader, you're setting vision, you're creating stretch goals, you're inspiring your team, you're going after things that you might not have gone after otherwise. And essentially, as Grace Hopper had said, you know, lead, you know managers manage things, and leaders lead people. And so you're in a different step. But there's a fourth phase, and that fourth one is politics, and. When I used to explain this to people when I was doing mentoring for military officers using Navy ranks, as my background, you make it to lieutenant commander on technical skills. But then I remember in the Army, you'd see an awful lot of gray-haired majors because they never learned management. And then you make it to lieutenant you know, for, to commander on proven management skills. But you make captain, which is where I retired, on proven leadership skills. And then you make admiral on proven political skills. Yeah. I had a lot of my buddies who picked up one or two stars, uh, well, a couple of them made three, and almost universally, their secret to success wasn't a secret at all. They had learned how to work the politics. And when you see somebody doing that, and you go, well, I just suck an or brown nosing. No. What happens is at the senior levels of organizations, whether it's corporate, government, or military, you're dealing with an entirely different set of problems. Using the Navy example as an admiral, you're dealing with congressmen, you're dealing with you know, federal budgets, you're looking at numbers that have billions in them, you're t- dealing with the press and huge contracts. It's too late to figure out how to do the politics once you've been put into that position. And so the key to being able to be successful in your career is to be able to master the level you're on and then learn enough about the next level that you can signal to your higher ups that, hey, I'm ready for management, I'm ready for leadership, or I'm ready to do this political stuff. And as a result, this is why you see people that get promoted around you and you wonder like, wait a minute, how how did she or how did he get past me? And it's not that you were doing anything wrong. It's that you didn't understand how this whole thing is put together. And that took the better part of my professional career to figure out.
0: Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, G Mark, like learning politics has always been in my mind by experience. How do you, mm -hmm. so how do you, I get my question for you is how do you teach politics? Like teach me. it's, Uh, It's political.
3: Master G Political awareness. awareness. And so it's it's not so much, yeah, it's okay. So Alan was at the Telnet thing. Uh, so he remembers Hacker Jeopardy. So well done. I, I've got my um, uh, Discord running over here on, off to the side, uh, which means it's probably time for the cask strength. So anyway, with respect <laughs> to political, it's it's a matter of awareness. Now, I personally have a bit of a distaste for politics. That is to yes. say, I like I I, rather. But a lot of us, G Mark,
0: it stopped right there. A lot of us that have come up through the ladder that you've described, we start technical, yep. maybe move into management, or you know, maybe lead a team. Um, mm-hmm. We we despise politics, We like we hate politics, right? I hear that a lot. Like I love like yeah. doing the technical stuff, and like working in a team is cool, but like oh, I hate the politics.
3: This is why a lot of people think of being a CISO as being sort of the apex of where you're going to be at in your technical career. But when you say how many CISOs go on to become CEO and how many go on to be chairman of the board, the answer is unless you're the founder, probably very few, if any. And the people who end up running the businesses are those who are more adept at that higher political layer. Now, unlike the military, where you have to walk through all four of those layers, I had a captain who worked for me who would have been a brilliant admiral. He got politics cold, but he could not do a good job as a leader or a manager. And so he couldn't get to that point. But in business, you can skip one or two of those layers. You can go right up to the political layer and have never been a leader. And so you get some people who are running businesses that people wouldn't even follow them out of a burning building, but they're in charge because they had, if you will, crack the code. And I think the lesson learned in that is understand what makes you happy. At the end of the day, if you've got to be doing things in your job that you hate and you're not enjoying it and you're being stretched out of your core personality to do things you want, don't go that way. Stay technical if you want. But years ago at DEF CON, I did a talk called A Hacker Looks at 50, and I handed out old punch cards, 80-column cards with some philosophy on the back of it, and one of them was Choose tech or management. You can't do both, or you're going to hit that big orange cone right down the middle where all the sand is when you try to get on the highway, off the highway. Do I say out? Do I? Blah. Make a choice. And if you change your mind, you can do so, but then you lose the momentum of where you're at. And fortunately, a lot of organizations have roles and responsibilities for very experienced technical people. Who don't want to spend their time going over yeah, budgets but and G. sitting Mark, there an HR meetings?
0: There's not every company has a position for what I like to think of as the pinnacle of a technological career. Right. It, I would deem that title as distinguished engineer, mm-hmm. and I love that title. Right? Well, it's very, I was I
2: was going to go there. Yeah, yeah, because I think I, I apologize, G Mark, but I'm going to disagree with you a bit. Um, and by that, when you you just created or, or presented a dichotomy. You can either stay keyboard warrior, engineer, mm-hmm. or you can go to management, right? Right. And I think that there's lots of options, not just two. Uh, one of them, for example, is I may not be running the scans uh, or or writing the exploits, but I'm designing the strategy around which those exploits are handled. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically an architect rather than a, right. a builder. There's In any company, there's at least four levels of people ranging from the board to the C-suite to the management to the staff. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's lots of verticals as well. There's a distinguished engineer who is guiding where the company is, where the engineering department is going, but not doing the Mm -hmm. work themselves.
0: I I think you're both right. And and I want to say like, I agree with both of you because I think it depends on the situation. It depends on the company and it depends on the environment, right? I think there are many companies that are like, you're technical to a certain degree and then, you got to go into management and then i think there's other companies where josh like you said there's there's a lot of middle ground right depending on the role that you take on i can say from my time in university i learned that most universities i mean there's nothing's ever 100 true right but in my opinion most universities run under the assumption that when you're technical you can only reach a certain level in that organization until you flip over to management and universities tend most of the time to work to work that way i think to g mark's point larger companies you can flourish as a distinct all the way up to distinguished engineer and i mean you not be a fellow i mean a like fellow, a Microsoft yeah. fellow yeah but like anything money's anything. not everything but you know you can you can do really well for yourself right you get stock in the company you get bonuses you get paid really well like that's an awesome path now you may take on the role of entrepreneur lot riskier, but you can have a pretty good payout too. You can also fail and fall flat on your face and hopefully learn from that and try again. Uh, right? But you're going to need a mixture of those skills at that level. So I think it depends on the organization.
3: It, it, it does. And then, I mean, uh, let, let me roll another golden apple down the aisle here and talk about a CISO versus a VC.
0: Oh, yeah. I've I been looking forward to having this conversation with you. There's a lot to unpack here.
3: Yeah. And so the thought is this. I work as a virtual CISO. I had three companies that I've been working with in the past year where they're not big enough to need a full-time CISO. Basically, there's not eighty-five hours of work a week to be able to to be
1: done (laughs) relative to the CISO.
3: People say full-time. I think yeah, that's about eighty to ninety hours, but they're smaller businesses, but they still need somebody. Mm -hmm. And so here's the assertion, and we can certainly debate this because it's worthy of debate because I don't know what what the answer is. But we'll just kind of roll this out as a null hypothesis. A VCSO must be more technical than a CISO because a virtual CISO, by definition, is working for an organization that does not have a large IT or IT yeah, security the staff. Depth, the and depth therefore and technical. You have to be the security expert right. of last resort. Now, when you're a well VCSO
0: or in general, VCSOs are working for, when you say smaller organizations, what are we talking like employees, like somewhere between 50 and a couple thousand maybe?
3: If, yeah, if, if even that high, you know, 50 mm-hmm. to a few hundred. And at some point in time, there's a threshold. It's just yeah. like, when do you need a sock? Okay, you need a sock probably at around the 2,000 endpoint mm-hmm. threshold, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you need a CISO? And the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's there somewhere. There's this little fuzzy range at which point there's a transition. It really comes down to the maturity of the organization and really their willingness to invest in security leadership. Because in my opinion, as a CISO, you have to have turned that third corner to go from technical to management to leadership. And to be effective, you have to work that fourth dimension on political. You have to Mm -hmm. be able to communicate effectively to the board. You have to be able to get your budgets approved. You need to be able to sensitize the CEO to the level of risk that they might be incurring. And you've got to go toe-to-toe sometimes with other department heads when they're trying to do some boneheaded move that's going to expose the organization to unnecessary risk, but they're the VP of sales or the senior vice president of this, and they think that they're tougher or bigger than you, and you got to be the person to stand up and say, no, you're going to take the house down if you do this thing and be able to communicate that effectively.
2: Mm. Do you think that's some of the reason why we have maybe – Security leadership now that is not phenomenal
1: is because we've forced some of the technical people up because that's the only way to increase uh, salaries, move forward in the organization. They're burnt out uh, and there maybe should have had a vertical where a technical path was given to them that allowed them to move forward. So from a progressive company standpoint, like, should we be opening up positions that allow technical people to? Mm -hmm. We've got a
3: good You've got an excellent point uh, there because. You're
0: Sorry, Tyler, you're, 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 you're breaking uh, up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you're you're, Tyler, go
3: ahead. Breaking up there, Tyler. But to your point, if I, if I can pick up on that, you, you raise an excellent one. And that's kind of the concept of the Peter principle, which you rise to your own level of incompetence. So you do well at a job. Congratulations, you're promoted. You do well at that job. Congratulations, you're promoted. Now you're in over your head. You're not doing so well. So you can't be promoted but they're going to leave you there. So you promote to your own level of incompetency, and therefore you get people stuck into jobs that they don't belong. The other thing we're seeing is that there's competition for that CISO job, and it's not coming from the technical ranks. It's coming from compliance. It's coming from legal and other places where these people have already developed that political acumen to be effective at communicating at the higher levels. And some organizations say, hey, I know her. I know that she can address risk and she can talk about stuff. Let's put her in charge of this. Or I know him and he can go ahead and handle legal stuff and he's got all the external connections. And now it's not given to us anymore. We don't necessarily get to the top of the tree and find out that CISO is saying, well done, good and faithful technical expert. Here is your award. You get up there and you find out there's a new round of competition there that you never saw coming. And as a result, Uh, And I'm not saying whether someone's going to do better or worse from that background, but it's not given to you anymore. And so as a result, it's incumbent upon those people who want to be effective security leaders in their organization to look ahead and try to figure out what skill sets do I need to develop, what will help me get there. Kind of part of the reason we did the CISO tradecraft is to say, hey, here's the tools. You know, you don't have to listen to them. You can ignore them. But if you want to stay technical, yes, you might not be able to stay at the same organization forever but most of us change jobs uh, fairly regularly it's it's kind of the nature of the beast and you know for me when i started national security corporation kind of dating myself it's like yeah nobody else would but i started that company in 1988 and the reason i started my own business was there was zero career opportunity in cybersecurity mm. and When I had gone to the Navy and I had finished up my sea tours and I said, okay, I want to go to my shore tour. I found out that there was a group up at the national security agency time called sea group. And it's like, this looks really cool. I flew up on my own nickel interviewed, got a job and the Navy sent a set of orders, you know, a by name request from a two-star general to a two-star admiral saying, Hey, send us this Lieutenant. Well, about a week later, I get this nasty phone call from Washington from my career manager who's called a detailer. She said, Lieutenant, what are you trying to do? And I said, I, I want to go to work at NSA. She says, why would you want to go to the National Security Agency? I says, I want to do computer security. And here's the quote for the ages. She said, the Navy has no need for computer security. You're going back out to sea. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've been out to sea for five years. I got a short tour coming up. So now I'm rocking a hard place. She said, if you go to NSA, kiss your career goodbye, you'll never promote past lieutenant. Now, that was a lie i'm 26 years old i don't know any better and so what happens then is i resigned my active duty commission went to work for Booz allen to learn how to be a blue chip consultant worked for a startup to learn how to be an entrepreneur and then within the three-year time frame i had set out started national security corporation so i never got to work for the national security agency but my thought was is that hey i could hire people out of nsa in three years as compared to take a three-year tour at nsa and then be out of gas now It was always the other half of the story. And a guy a year behind me in the Navy, who had also spent five years at sea, who also got a backdoor set of orders to NSA, but he drank the Kool-Aid and became a cryptologic officer, which at the time was signals intercept, right? You sit Mm -hmm. there and you listen and beep, 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 and figure out what's going on. It had nothing to do with computer security. That's
0: the Jeff Mann (laughs) rule.
3: Well, Mike Rogers just retired two years ago as the director of NSA as a Mm -hmm. four-star admiral. Now, not to say I could have done what Mike did, but it's one of those butterfly effects that yeah. you don't know what's going to happen 30 years later when you go left or go right. And had I taken those orders and done a, a career conversion, who knows? I would have had at least potentially a shot at it, but maybe my lack of political acumen would have taken me down in the long run anyway. And I probably was still retired as a captain.
0: Yeah. So. I think most of us, G-Mark, don't want to go back and change anything, right? <laughs>
3: Like a good it happened the way um, it happened, and yeah, we're all better for it. Well, you can't change and it. And you can't you change well it anyway. It. Right. But one of the things you can do is you can talk to people who are earlier on in their life. So remember, I've got an right. uncle. And you War- can
0: create podcasts to complain about it.
3: <laughs> I, I guess so. But my, my uncle Ron is 95 years old. Okay, God bless him. He was a medic with the Marines in the Pacific, and he would have been part of a landing force in October of 45 had they not dropped the bomb. Well, here he is 77 years later. He's still around. So I remember asking him, I guess when I turned 50, I said, hey, Uncle Ron, you know, you're now you know, in your 80s. What would you recommend to yourself when you were my age? And he thought about it for a little bit. And he said, Mark, enjoy your life. Enjoy life more. And at the time, there, like, well, I am enjoying my life. But then we kind of realized we put in. Unbelievable amount of time and energy and hours into our jobs. And then all of a sudden, we say, okay, fine, when I turn 65 or 67 because of social, you know, whatever it is, and I officially retire and do stuff like that. But then nothing guarantees your health is going to be there. Mm. And people that just kind of stop cold turkey work and then retire tend to die within yeah. a year or two is, because that's it's that's like a, they pull the a thing, vacuum.
0: Right. right? Yes. And I was like, yeah. Ah.
3: I can't keep going. And so I'm probably going to keep doing something indefinitely. My wife said, like, you can never retire. And uh, which is probably just as well because I think the secret to a long marriage uh is you know you need to be on the road a lot. So yeah. we've been married for 31 <laughs> years and we've been together for about seven. And between the Navy and then teaching and then consulting, right. you know, I get out of the house enough and not upper upper uh
0: So can, let's get uh can I go back to I want to go back to I wanted to oh, go back to because well, we were talking about CISOs and then Mark well, yeah, his life story, which I, 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 I we guys, should guys, absolutely have that on the show, G Mark and I thank you for sharing. But one, uh, yeah, hold on.
1: Well, uh, I, I don't, uh, then
0: it, we're going to go Doug and then we're going to go
1: Josh. Okay, okay go ahead. I'll, I, what I wanted to go back and ask was uh, I've interviewed a lot of people for CISO jobs, so i was sort of a virtual, you know, technical consultant for people that mm-hmm. were like, we want to hire somebody, we don't know what questions to ask, and so on. And I guess my question for you was, I get the political thing and I get Mm -hmm. the technical thing, but how little technical is too little? Because I I always had this theory, and and I've seen it in place in the military. I've seen it in place in in post-military government Mm -hmm. where you've got people trying to manage very smart, very technical people and they're really, really bad at it because they're they really they smart. They don't know what Port 23 Well, yeah, is. <laughs> and and I, I interviewed somebody once, and, and they were interviewing for a CISO job, and one of the questions I often ask people is, is What is what your, Port 23? <laughs> what is your favorite network port and why? And I can tell you a lot about people by what they answer, and when mm. people say, you know, well, Port 23 is cool, I know how old they are. Uh, you know. But there was one candidate who had a whole lot of political acumen I mean, a very strong resume on that side of the world said, I don't know, Doug, what's your favorite network port? And I said, I'm not being interviewed. I don't care. Why don't you tell me what yours is? And he went, Okay, you got me. I don't know what a network port is. I don't know what a port is.
0: Didn't I have an answer to this question? It was like the one that was open. It was some philosophical Well, there's been other ones. Yeah, yeah, I've had that one, too.
1: But I I guess my my question comes back to, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And, and I don't think you have to be the penultimate tech person to be a manager, mm-hmm. but how do, how do you how far does that go? I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's some great person somewhere who could manage anything anywhere, and I've, I've known a couple. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. They could manage programmers, they could manage engineers. they could manage nuclear weapons. It didn't matter. And they mm-hmm. were Navy people. But I've also known people that got just absolutely steamrollered. I, I, I was consulting for this thing once, and this person who'd been the, CE, the CISO was so inept not not politically but the the tech people just steamrollered them and they didn't actually know anything i mean i interviewed this person later and the person had absolutely no idea about anything at all and they were being set up in fact by the tech people to look like it, uh, an idiot and did on a regular basis but the, so
0: I, I think this is a thing and i was telling johnny actually earlier that um, in let's go to a different industry let's go to healthcare Now, when my wife was studying in x-ray school, she had to take physics and she had to build an x-ray machine, Mm -hmm. right? Now, does she need to know how to build an x-ray machine for her job now? Like she wanted to be a sonographer and all that? No, but that underlying kind of technical knowledge is important to understand how how things work. Even if you progress up through management, you still need some basic
1: understanding. But let me put that in my
0: context, though.
1: I I agree with you. But in my context, that is, she doesn't know what an X-ray machine is. Correct. And and Correct. so different. I don't. I agree. You don't need to know how to build a computer mm-hmm. or to hack a network to be a manager of mm-hmm. people that are doing those things. But if you don't even know what they're doing, mm. I, I I don't. I and so I'm, I'm just sort of asking, where does it fall? I mean, I mean. Well, you,
3: you've raised a really great point, and so let me give you a couple examples. So one of them is this: I had a gentleman I work with. Uh, in, in the Navy, and he got a recall to active duty for two years to be the chief information officer for Navy medicine, all right? So there, it ties into your story. And uh, he, this guy was brilliant at the political stuff. And so what he would be able to do is a CIO, I used to kind of joke, I said, you can't even spell, you don't even, can't even spell IT, but he could get whatever the team needed because he had a good relationship with his folks. They knew that he didn't know the technology, But they would say, Sir, we need to get 500,000 or 2 million or whatever for this program. So he would be like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play golf with the right person. And I go play golf with the CEO or the ex or whatever. And he comes back and says, Hey, I got the stuff for you. And so what he was able to do as a master at the political level is to be able to gather the resources that his team needed to be successful. He didn't need to understand the technology to do that. Now, He had a supportive, positive role with his team. There's no way they were gonna set this guy up for failure when he's bringing home the bacon, so to speak. And so as a result, there's a counterexample to that that suggests that you can be successful. And that's again, why I bring up the fact that some organizations are pulling chief information security officers or VP of IT security from things such as compliance and legal and other departments, simply because they can get stuff done.
0: G Mark, did you listen to podcasts before you created your own podcast?
3: Not that many of them.
0: Yeah, but you did listen, right? I think it's you know some. It'd be hard to go create a podcast if you've never heard a podcast. Yeah, before. I, I, yeah, yeah, but
3: I mean, I my my partner listens to I think something like sixteen podcasts a week, plays them all at double speed. And he's in the car taking the kids to school or going around and he consumes, them, and he consumes a fantastic amount of podcast information. Mm. And I, I go out and run. And I, that's my zone out time when I'm running without a headset. And so maybe I should just do that.
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some underlying knowledge. Uh, Josh, you had questions.
2: So I, I wanted to stay on the, the happiness mode. And so I wanted to ask you about something, G-Mark. Uh, how's GM2?
3: Uh GM one is actually has has he told you yet? Yeah, it's public. It is public. Okay. So I guess I gonna he's gonna he has forced me into grandfather mode. Um uh I didn't have to do any of the work by the way. So anyway. So it looks like as far as I know, it's on Twitter.
2: Like it's it's
3: out Yeah, I I guess it's public, but um yeah, I, I don't advertise for other people. Too many years in the military of not minding other people's business. If you're not in the conversation, you just don't tap in. But yeah, so anyway, okay. Chris is Chris, thrilled. If he's I, got, if got this up, lovely lady.
2: Please don't kill me, but yeah, congrats, Grandpa.
3: Yeah, congrats to Okay, so they're expecting their first baby uh, and it'll be this fall. And I mean, it, it's been a huge opportunity for him. I mean, he's got a great job as a full-time pen tester. He's loving it. He's, he's getting into management roles. He's finding out that you know, he's now working. He's like, man, I'm working early morning and late night and evenings and weekends, it says, yeah, you're like your dad's life. You always saw me working every weekend and every, every night and up in the early in the mornings. And now he's getting a taste of it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You can work a long hour career. If you have the passion for doing it, if you love what you do, the hours don't matter. And then sometimes the pay doesn't matter. Well, you'll work for a nonprofit or you work below that. Um, as long as you can feed your family, but for, for him, he's getting a chance to kind of fill out his life and, you know, you know, quick backstory on that. So I brought my son to his first DEF CON when he was 14 years old. And after a couple, he said, hey, you know, I, I need a handle. And at the time I had a working title for a book it was God Minus One. It was a guy who figures out in a future society, maybe like 2030, 2040, although it's getting close, how to break <laughs> all the unbreakable crypto. And so when he wants money, he can just get in there. And boom, he's got a million dollars. He doesn't like a guy. says, wait a minute, boom, all of a sudden the cops said, hey, we got a arrest warrant for you. So he can't say you're God because that would be blasphemous. So you're God minus one. It's like infinity minus one. So I gave him here. You got a domain. I gave him God minus one dot com. And uh, and that became his handle. And uh, so he's GM one and has done really well. He did 10 years as a goon, retired as a goon. Mm-hmm. And I'm still a gooning. So you never know. He just I keep plugging. Maybe he was a smart guy to get out.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Congrats, Grandpa. Well done. Mm-hmm
0: mark i did want to ask you one question uh just going back to the CISO thing if what do you how do you feel about reporting structures when do they work when do they don't work if a CISO reports to the cio and the cio reports to the founder um is is that a a viable reporting structure and in what what organizations
3: there is no exact correct answer now Mm. in One of my organizations, I am Mm double-hatted as a CISO and the CIO, so Mm -hmm. that cancels out. But then I report in the chief operating officer. In another one, I'm double-hatted as well, but I report directly to the CEO. So most people say, hey, I want to report to the CEO. That would be great. The difficulty is this. I can get the COO almost any time of the day or night. Mm -hmm. He's in the office. He's on his phone or whatever. And he can sponsor for me what needs to be done in the executive committee. CEOs, if they're doing their job right, they're out trying to go ahead and close big deals. They're evangelizing. The <laughs> yeah. Attack! What? Attack! We have a breach. We have a breach. The <laughs> wife let all the dogs in here, and we're live on the line. So <laughs> we're
1: anyway, going to get yeah, such yeah, ratings we, uh, if those dogs turn on him. <laughs> yeah,
3: look at this one right here. Yeah, but in any case, um, yeah, we'll see if we can put the put the genie back in the bottle here. So with respect to the reporting structure, if I had another one that I worked with, the CEO, the founder of the company was, in my opinion, two hands on. He had mm-hmm. to get into every single detail.
1: Yep. And that, that
3: caused a lot of frustration for me. It's like, look, do you trust me to do your security or not? It's kind mm-hmm. of like Aladdin. Well, do you trust me? And from his perspective, he didn't seem to want to trust anybody with the details. And as a result, we couldn't get done the things that needed to get done in the time frame. So to your answer about what's the best reporting structure, it's the one that works for you in the political environment. So yesterday, I was at a conference here in Tampa. It was sponsored. We're talking about this, the Data Connector Cybersecurity Conference. And one of the persons was talking about the fact that he had taken a job after 16 years of the FBI, that he was the lead investigator for a major hack at this company, at Kaseya. And then he left the bureau short of his retirement to become the CISO there. It took a lot of soul searching. But with his reporting structure, when he comes in there, is that he's reporting basically the chief operating officer. And the one question he said is, What happens when we disagree? So, what do you mean? He says, I report to you. And he was a CIO. I, I, uh, but he says, If I disagree with you and I report to you, what happens? And the guy's answer was, The CEO's door is down there. You're always welcome. And so the point was, he was not going to block you as a CIO and say, you know what, you're not going to be able to do the security because I'm going to keep it. That environment politically worked. He says, now I know I can do my job. And if I can't convince my direct boss, the CIO, that we need to do this, I'm to convince the ultimate boss. And if neither one of them wants to do it, okay, fine, roger that. I understand that's going to be the orders of the day. Go back and come up with another idea. So companies, they forge
0: forge their own path with reporting structure in an effort to find something that works. And like sometimes the formula doesn't work, sometimes it doesn't. But your mission in an organization is to find that formula that works for your organization and culture. You
3: need to. And if you lack that fourth dimension, that political savvy, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be effective necessarily at finding that. And then, therefore, you might not be able to articulate the type of reporting relationship that works because you won't be able to discern what are those political factors that are making things work or not work. And that sets people up for failure. They promote because of technical expertise, but they get Peter principled into a leadership role because they don't have the tools to necessarily interface at the next higher level on the political. And so, therefore... For those people who want to be successful, you need to address all four elements of that in your career and find the resources. And that's kind of partially why I was doing this CISO craft. is that nobody was dealing with number three and four. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do that.
0: Do you ever run into a situation, G Mark, where they want to hire you as like a part-time or virtual CISO, and that's because they, they just want to check the box for security. Like they don't want a full-time CISO because they don't want the headache of like having to implement a full security program. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, like, it's cute. We can kind of keep you as a virtual one and, and not have to do all the things. Do you, do you have like a detector for that?
3: I have not run into that. Mm. And mostly, I mean, I've, I've got opening right now to add one more client. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that perspective, uh, no, I have not encountered that. But it does exist. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. no question about that, that there's the check in the box compliance because compliance does not equal security. Compliance is a C minus. It's a minimum passing grade. It gets the auditors off your back. It gets legal happy, but compliant organizations get hacked all the time. So if you go to an organization and they're looking for a CISO or, and then you find out or CSO, whatever it happens to be, but they're not going to give you that high level support. uh, That S doesn't stand for security. It stands for scapegoat. You're the chief scapegoat officer, and they're looking for someone to throw under the bus. Yeah. When things go sideways because they didn't put in the time and the energy and the effort and the money and the resources and the capital to ensure that the organization can be effectively secured everybody's gonna get whacked it's just a matter of time nobody bats a thousand in this world but the point is you want to keep a very high batting average and you want to keep getting back in the game and doing it a little bit better each time g mark i just have
0: five questions left for you. Are you ready to play five questions with security weekly
3: Ah, uh, okay. Uh, are they Hacker Jeopardy questions? They have to answer the form of a question, or it's just. Nope, a-
0: they are, no, they are open ended questions. There is no right or wrong answer. That's how we play trivia here on Security Weekly.
3: <laughs> All right, fair enough.
0: Three words to describe yourself. Uh, Does that count as one?
3: Passionate, uh, I work as a mentor, and probably a heretic.
0: If you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Spiders. Poison spiders. If you wrote a (laughs) book (laughs) about yourself, what would the title be? Spider
3: Man serial killer. (laughs) As a Buffalo Bills fan, wide right. (laughs) Because everything like almost worked out, and at the last minute doesn't go. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd probably do that.
0: What is your favorite hacker
3: movie? Recognize the cup. Colossus Here you go, there you is go. Is no Obey way. and live, disobey and die. It's a Colossus, the Forbin Project. And I bet you've never heard of that oh. one. It's a 1970. No,
0: I have because oh Do- Dr. I Doug's heard older that... than me, and he told me about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. You gotta watch the movie. It's a computer that takes over the world, and they try to hack into the computer to get control back.
1: Yep. What's the name of the movie again? Colossus, the Forbin Colossus, Project.
3: The Forbin Project. And basically... Colossus is the American computer that's entrusted with the nuclear weapons arsenal. The Soviet Union has been stealing the plans. They build their own called Guardian. The two computers find each other and they decide, yes, you know I'm what? Part of Humans shouldn't be running this planet. We should be.
1: There's this crazy digital sex scene.
3: <laughs>
2: so, like last.
0: Week? That's like all my favorite movies. Now. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wait, we got one final question. G Mark, choose
3: two celebrities to be your parents? Two celebrities be my parents.
0: Alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise. Whatever that means.
3: Let's have a little bit of fun. We'll go for the 710 split. Barbara Bush and Elton John. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> Outstanding. G you'll definitely be fabulous. Where can people find your
3: <laughs> podcast, my friend? You can find the podcast at CISOTradeCraft.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Please subscribe. Uh, we'd be glad to have you as a listener. And also, we're looking for ideas for new shows.
0: Thank you so much, sir, for appearing on Paul Security Weekly.
3: Uh, Thank you for the privilege of being part of your show. Take care. And uh, my executive assistant says thank you as well.
0: Coming up next, Lawrence Nunn, stick around.